Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello! and welcome to the Smackdown Review. I'm Michael Sidgwick in the very temporary absence of Adam Wilborn, joined by fellow Dudley boy Michael Hamflit to review everything that happened on Friday's show. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure to subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We preview and review Smackdown, Raw, NXT, AEW, Dynamite, and Rampage, all pay-per-views. We hold wrestling interviews, we hold roundtable discussions, and host a round of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course, on wrestle culture. Now I'm going to hand over to Michael Hamflit, who's going to give you the play-by-play rundown of WWE SmackDown because I could not be asked. <laughs> and it's a hospital pass and a half, Sidgwick, because as you'll remember, we started with, and I'll double-check this because it felt long, 30 minutes of John Cena and Roman Reigns, which made for quite a unique viewing experience in terms of SmackDown overall, quite a sort of tightly managed show. There wasn't really much on the SmackDown, I didn't find anyway, that didn't at least have a central focus. SummerSlam is on the horizon. It's a big show. It's got to feel massive. And they have at very least dedicated the necessary time, should we say, to all the big programmes. There was very little fat on the show for as far as main roster shows go. Um, but like before we get into the meat of it, and I haven't got this word for word, obviously, but what did you make of this like this incredibly strange choice of going along with Cena and Roman so that all that was left was a kind of a card that wasn't, as we discussed in the preview, that wasn't really announced in advance, but was now there to be raced through. I just think they think that they've got one thing with which to sell SummerSlam to the biggest audience possible. And they leaned very heavily on that thing. I didn't even particularly like that thing very much loud as it was. And the resulting effect was if you didn't like that thing, you didn't really like the show. And I did not really like that thing. But in terms of their thought process, is such an odd thing it is to approach how WWE thinks a show is getting over because so often they don't. It's <laughs> bad television shows. So, yeah, it's incomprehensible. It really is. But on this basis, yes, I can understand why this went as long as it did. John Cena is more than capable of sustaining interest keeping track of his thoughts, delivering them with a very smooth eloquence. Yeah, this was like a, a gauntlet Iron Man performance of a verbal segment, and I had no time for it, if I'm being perfectly honest. But we'll get into why 
when you tell us all about it. Yeah, we'll dig into the details. Um, as you say, Cena was kind of entrusted with plenty to do and say here, but this went so long as to make you think maybe they were just scrubbing things off the whiteboard backstage because Vince McMahon himself was enjoying it. This was exactly his sort of thing. Cena comes out, absorbs an enormous pop. It's the same every week. People love him. He's a measurable draw. He's the star that WWE haven't created since he's left, and he showed it here. The material was risible, and John Cena got it over. He was great in Roman Reigns, and he was giving him a D for being a D head, a D bag, and then a D disappointment, which doesn't work, does it? Like they couldn't <laughs> even complete their own rule of three. Um, but he said at SummerSlam, Reigns is going to get an F, um, which sums up his entire title reign anyway. Um, he then kind of pulled the fans to ask if they thought that Roman Reigns had a chance. Again, like the audience are responding exactly as WWE would want them to. We're in a time where John Cena is the babyface, Roman Reigns is the heel. Those are the intended reactions and those are the ones being generated. So they've held on to what matters going into this match ultimately. Um, and it's good because the material remains the same. John Cena is just attempting to bury Roman Reigns six foot deep and it's hard to work out if it's working or not. Reigns comes out obviously for the obligatory reply. Um, we go through the commercial at this point. So obviously, some of this at least was you know a commitment to this particular cause i guess we've seen not being on smackdown last week um reigns wants to get to the point of it all he's sick of cena messing around it's very much what he's been doing all this time we get more missionary stuff reigns goes for the big um mic drop line at some point in all of this with a reference to nikki bella because he's really liking that missionary line i'm not so sure this got the big <gasps> that they were expecting off the fans or indeed off john cena he's a married man now isn't he like that's uh I guess your ex-girlfriend didn't like it. Well, no, that's sort of implied. That's why she's, you know, like you kind of, you can't really do that one anymore. It's a mention of an ex-person they know who, who was also a star. So I guess it was more of a name check than it was a death blow from Reigns. But again, like Reigns' stuff was getting over. Um, Cena took the bat on back and he was trying to like arrogantly play down what's going to happen in the match. This had seemingly two purposes. One was to, I think, um, undersell what Reigns is going to do to him because Reigns is going to, mon John Cena hasn't been watching and Reigns is going to monster him at SummerSlam. And this was John Cena revealing that perhaps he's not quite ready for the hell that Reigns is going to unleash on him. And two, get over a new catchphrase. This one, two, three yeah. thing is, is like a direct reverse lift from what Drew McIntyre does. But again, it's John Cena. He's got a green and yellow magic wand at the moment and he got it over. People were chatting at the end. And the idea was, again, no matter what Reigns brings as the head of the table, all John Cena needs to do is pin him. Um, now that, again, misses a point of like, well, hang on, don't you need a really good counter game? Don't you need a really good technical strategy? Don't you need powerful comebacks? But no, apparently Roman Reigns can do whatever he wants, but Cena can get one, two, three. I guess if we're being generous, this is playing on the Super Cena moniker and what we've always known about John Cena. And there's a bit of that in the subtext, I suppose, but it was about a catchphrase. That was all it was. It was about a catchphrase. It was about a chant, probably about a T-shirt on the night. Um, Roman, to be fair, has changed in every conceivable way since 2017 so he didn't look like a lost child out there as he did once upon a time um he looked confident in the face he looked like a man that knew more than his opponent he, kn he knows that he's gonna decimate this fool at SummerSlam. um i hope that's what they go with and the vincent man doesn't have a chain trademark change of heart because a promo like this is going to embarrass them if that's not how the match is laid out um cena gets his mic drop with one more catchphrase um, and he alludes to the fact that because he's been able to get round Brock Lesnar before, he can get round Roman Reigns. Brock Lesnar just getting to hang in the air is quite interesting with Paul Heyman stood there because one day we know that's got to come up, his conflict of interests. Maybe it's T-Sunslam, maybe it's further down the line. But I, um, 
what else? There was one more thing. He mentioned about how Roman Reigns was responsible for ruining the careers long-term of Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. Pointless filler content. Rollins is later on in the show promoting a dream match and John Mox is a draw on the other channel. So again, that was a bit like the Nikki Bella stuff. It just felt like a desperate grab for a gasp when there wasn't one there, nor one needed. If this play-by-play is all over the shop, it's not just because I'm not Adam Wilborn. It's because the content was. But they were loud. They were super responsive. This match is enormous. It's so difficult trying to critically analyse all of this. Oh, God. That's a hospital pass. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Burying each other on this freaking podcast. Yeah, my thoughts are probably going to be all over the place as well because there's a lot to keep track of. But my TLDR take, right, is that this promo volley, this war of words, played out to me like the fifth, sixth or seventh Eminem or Marilyn Manson studio album. (laughs) By which I mean, it was so grabby, this sort of storytelling, as you've alluded to. Yes, the fans responded to various degrees, because they were in the hands of an expert manipulator. And if you're in that environment, that live environment, you're happy to be there, you've had a few drinks, or you're a young child who's just high on the the, the spectacle of it all. I can understand why you connected with them. Being there live is a totally different thing to watching at home. But watching at home, I, again, just thought that this was such Paul Heyman, wank, bank, shock, jock, territory stuff. And it didn't resonate with me at all. Um, brief historical detour um, before... I talk more about this directly. Um, The TLDR on this is that John Cena isn't Kevin Nash. What happened in the early to mid-90s is that professional wrestling in the United States almost uniformly failed to resonate with audiences on the basis of a pro wrestling show. So they started to blur the lines and break kayfabe and shoot on each other, brother. And it was really class when in 1996... Kevin Nash was just burying WCW and the WWF because the NWO were the most cool, irresistible force, the shockwave, if you like, through professional wrestling. Things could get buried in his mouth because it was awesome. It sort of felt like he articulated everyone's feelings. And then this sort of blurring of the lines continued as pro wrestling became this very different thing. What's happened, at least for me, is that pro wrestling has restored itself through all elite wrestling. And people won't like that, but that's just my opinion, and I'm paid money to give it. So when now you've got WWE that, in its own context, is this performative battleground that's an outwardly predetermined show, we are now having a war of words about who is best at delivering this material and holding the audience's attention and being relevant and getting ratings. And I'm just desperate for these two to just have a war of words of who might be the better man, you know? And as I said, it's the sixth or seventh Manson Eminem album. Just this stuff does not work for me anymore. And it's like, even if they nailed these certain lines and these lines made sense, I still wouldn't get the same, Christ, that's disrespectful or sacred stuff you're going over there. I wouldn't get it, that feeling, even if the lines were halfway logical, they weren't. Like, John Cena, I don't watch Total Bellas or Total Divas or have an interest in that moron John Cena's totally aloof private life. But my understanding is that John Cena didn't want to get married, or at least to Nikki Bella. Uh, This broke Nikki Bella's heart. Um, It took a long time for her to realize that this wasn't happening. And for the good of what she wanted out of life, her and John Cena, like, separated. 
either he told her or she told him because she saw the writing was on the wall or whatever. Regardless, it doesn't feel like John Cena cruelly dumped, uh, Nikki Bella cruelly dumped John Cena and he's really bothered by it at all. Mm. What a stupid line for the sake of trying to get an from the seals in the crowd. And what was the shield stuff? Rope Reigns made John Moxley, Dean Ambrose leave WWE. That's painfully untrue. Yeah, absolutely painfully untrue. I reckon in an, a, a competent professional wrestling company that allowed John Moxley the best, if one of the, if not the best promos of the 21st century, they allowed him any kind of agency over his character and his scripting. And if they, in fact, presented him as anything other than a total dweeb, he might still be there and he would be overjoyed to be working a program. Can you imagine, right, John Moxley, purveyor of violence against head of the table Roman Reigns? Like, that would be awesome. Yeah. That would be the best thing for wrestling right now. It wasn't going to happen because of Vince McMahon. <laughs> John Moxley is on record as saying he's pretty much the reason why I'm gone. He oversees his creative. He has his vision for creative. It started to gnaw at um, John Moxley. And he hated his time there. Of course, they're not going to script John Cena to say that. So they do this utterly nonsensical deep cut. But like you're not cutting through anything. Doesn't matter how deep you try and cut it, if you miss the target, it's going to be as shallow as anything else. As he said, Seth Rollins is on the show, and he's going to have like a really big match at SummerSlam. Like, what on earth was this? I don't know what this was. My only attempt at an answer is Paul Heyman, finger totally removed from the pulse, still thinks it's cool to do shoot season, and when another company <clears throat> has mastered the fiction of it, this sort of stuff's just a load of utter bollocks for me um and at the end of the day here's the thing i said it again and it continues to be the problem with this rivalry if in fact or when in fact roman reigns beats john cena clean in the middle he has beaten a wrestler he has not elevated these ratings he has not brought the business that john cena brought he has not done anything to respond to what John Cena is saying, which are really quite truthful and counterproductive things. He simply won a wrestling match. It proves nothing if and when it happens. People will forget this build. People will remember how loud it was. People won't really remember or care about the nonsense that has been spewed throughout it. They will have a very loud and very dramatic and very overmatch at SummerSlam, and it will be remembered as such just feels week after week i'm asking wwe like is it that hard to just sell me a massive title fight the biggest one you've got and they say yes it is yeah. <laughs> like the one two three is the closest you're going to get to it um but again that felt more tacked on just for seeing it prove you could kind of get something over as a bit of a gimmick for the night here's the thing i will address my criticisms of this segment if in fact at SummerSlam. Like Roman's beasting them. It almost feels like a Lesnar Cena match at SummerSlam 2014. And to pay off this sing along with the champ stuff, nursery rhymes with the champ, learn maths with the champ stuff, John Cena rules them up and he gets some proper good 2.9 kickouts out of nowhere. Mm. This can be folded into the match in some way. Yes, that's fine. But it still doesn't excuse or get over these absolutely childishly edgy Paul Heyman specials of shoot lines that, again, even if they made sense, I'd still be like, that's ah, a bit lame now, isn't it? 
bit lame still doing this in 2021. And they didn't make any sense at all if you apply any kind of critical thought for more than two seconds. And John Cena started this very feud by saying that the Universal title was unimportant to him. And speaking of unimportant titles, we move on to the Intercontinental Championship, which was on the line between Apollo Crews and King Nakamura. Um, Nakamura's kind of got this match not out of nowhere, but out of being the one babyface to kind of break out from that chasing pack on SmackDown the last few weeks. We'd suspected that maybe this would go on SummerSlam. Instead, it's gone here. It might go on SummerSlam as well, let's be honest. Um, but we got the sort of the big title shot for Nakamura here. There wasn't a great deal to this. It was set up early by Aziz um, getting involved with the interference. So Rick Boogs tried to cancel him out. Both of them were given the big, you're out of here, which raised what sounded like a dead audience back from the brink. Like the referee waggling his arms got more over than anything the wrestlers did in the first sort of two or three minutes of the match. It got half decent after that. Um, Nakamura, as we talked about a million times, is a wrestler that has to be in the mood. And luckily, I think at least for the final sort of stretch of this, he was. Uh, Apollo Crews is moribund and fairly meaningless Intercontinental Championship reign comes to an end here uh, when Nakamura scores with a Kinshasa. Fairly basic 10-minute thing, but crowd went big on Nakamura's win. Um, Boogs was back out with Pat McAfee for the big celebration. They were doing this whole... It was being framed, basically, as King Nakamura. He's got the crown, he's got the belt, he's on the roll of a lifetime. It screams kickoff rematch with Cruz. I would say to tie this up at SummerSlam, which will bring his momentum to a screeching halt. Um, what did you make first of the match and this yet again temporary feeling renewed interest in Nakamura? Um, it's been they've been trying to build Nakamura off and on for a while. It certainly feels like they are actively trying to give him things. Now they've given him the Intercontinental title. Of course, it's meaningless. So how much that's going to get him more over is a matter of separate debate. Without much to actually hold on to or cling on to, rather, in the match itself, it was a WWE match. It wasn't particularly lively or nicely well worked. But again, if you look at that roster, it's kind of hard for them to do anything but at this point. Rather than any kind of in-depth analysis of the match, which... To be fair, WWE matches tend not to invite in 2021. I was struck by how this audience can actually be served. I see a dead audience. The people who turn up are dead. The people who don't turn up and have stopped watching are just totally out of favour with this product. Disillusioned, whatever. A lot of these fans, and I'm not saying they're daft, right? But a lot of WWE fans, in my experience simply don't get things that AEW are trying to do. Their storytelling is more ambitious, it's more intricate, uh, it's more long-term and heft. I can't help but think that there is something in this match that spoke to me about that there's an audience that WWE can still get. They love the get-out-of-here stuff. Mm. They love the title switch. They like the hits that pro wrestling can play and that WWE still know how to play at times. Um... Yeah, simple, simple finish gets over in front of fans. And if you can get those fans to consistently care about the characters, like all of these reports of a sea change in Vince McMahon's outlook of, right, we need big guys, we need WrestleMania headliners. Maybe they need this kind of storytelling to differentiate. Maybe they need to rediscover what got WWE over in the first place. And this type of finish and the shenanigans and the, the crowd interaction just spoke to me more than the content of the match itself. 
and it's you know going to get that's what's going to get replayed on the endless videos and the short burst youtube content dumps that they value more now anyway so yeah. the rest of it doesn't need to be remembered does it um as we get a perfect example of here um did you remember the alpha academy putting the street profits on the shelf to explain montez ford absence because i certainly didn't I, so, didn't. Uh, I can't pretend we were given a reminder of that to set up their match tonight that i guess is sort of um tied into what we've had with street profits in the last few weeks um montez ford was really in the mood it's very nice having him back we got that like wild dive towards the end of the match so wild that it kind of almost missed yeah, terrifying. completely but like he's just got that amazing arch and height in his leaps and he's great to have him back the street profits obviously goes without saying as a tag team but it's always very awkward when the evidently more dynamic member of the team is injured and the act kind of feels a little bit redundant in the interim so it's great to have like them both back to full strength um and they got the win here over um chad gable it was he took the pin the kind of notable spot in the middle of the match that i guess got a little bit of attention but cynically for all the wrong reasons is they did a red rag to a bull spot with Otis, which is fine like on the surface he's giant chad gable wants to get him wound up but it was an american alpha towel the old ready willing and gable that's a reminder of nicer times to us it's a callback long-term storytelling to idiot weirdos um and it kind of makes a bit of a fool of um otis which is a bit of a problem here because the whole idea of the Alpha Academy was to get Otis series. You change up his look, you make him look like this giant shaved baby instead of like a warm comedic character that he was before that Gable was perhaps corrupting. They've tried to make him serious, but now they're on the losing end again. When you have an Alpha Academy that can't pick up basic TV wins, it kind of undermines the point of the act, especially when the elite tier pro wrestler is getting booked. I didn't mind the physical stuff again i do think in short bursts the street profits are pretty explosives we've all talked about chad gable at length in the past but this alpha academy act is already starting to feel a bit cooked yeah i mean i don't have much enthusiasm for anything these days as it pertains to <laughs> wwe but here's something and it's a little something um street profits winning here puts them on a trajectory towards the Usos, which could be a mildly interesting post-SummerSlam program. They are at least doing something to inspire belief in their fans and to tell the audience, look, we've got a plan for these guys. We are strengthening them ahead of a presumed title feud down the line, which is exponentially better than them just suddenly being number one contenders like in September. It's something. Um, this did way more for Street Profits and Alpha Academy. They just, Vince McMahon's probably just had this idea. Oh my God. Looks like a bit of a, um, a planes dwelling wildebeest, this one. <laughs> so uh, let's do some uh, wildebeest bull stuff. Like it just, you can get an act over without putting one under. Mm. Simple. Um, very few thoughts about any of this outside of that other than montez ford rules and it'll be good and entertaining to watch him in a tag team match against the uso they've been out of the mix long enough that it's sort of okay to see them back in that was my prevailing feeling i was getting very very tired of the street profits for a while oh, i think the break as is always the case with every wwe wrestler the less you get of them the more you actually want them for a bit well this is the thing and we talk a lot about the same things frankly on these podcasts because wwe just does not invite any sort of passionate or fresh analysis but montez ford in front of crowds will at the very least pop them daft mm. or his high spots 
And it's funny because that's exactly what Vince McMahon doesn't think that he does. He thinks he tells these stories, pals, and makes movies, pal. But look, Montez Ford looks ridiculous in the air. Just an absolutely incredible worker in that regard. And he will get matches over. And already on this return to TV, I'm desperate for some of these matches to be over. So the higher in the mix a guy like that is, perfect. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Next, we go to Seth Rollins. Um, Edge isn't in the building tonight, so we know that it's kind of Seth's going to get his moment uninterrupted. Um, to do his long chat build to this feud. Um, but he must have known that he had this extra time uninterrupted because he's been on Adobe Premiere this week. He's made himself a nice little video. Um, it's not 10 times Seth Rollins showed his ass on Twitter, but all the times <laughs> it did something and then Seth did it better. Um, I'll editorialise a little bit here because we sort of touched on this on the preview. I quite enjoyed this. For one, it was about time they actually showed the 2014 attack rather than simply talking about it. Because is it is all about what happened three weeks ago, much less that amount of years ago. This is it. It is okay. And um, when you are referencing something from seven years ago, not least when the characters can exist for a long time without caring about it to sort of bring that back to the front. Um, but it was other stuff as well. It wasn't just their direct interactions. It was things sort of like the cash-ins, um, the reference to the, obviously the other week when Seth hitting with the camera. All of this is Seth believing he is everything that Edge no longer can be because Edge is too old. If Edge was the rated R, he's the rated R. I don't think those were his exact words, but that was what we were led to infer. Um, he went on about, you know, how you can never mention anybody's family in WWE. Oh, my God. His daughters would have been pushing him in a wheelchair if he'd have just brought down that stomp on his head. But he's given him the second chance, and now he's going to take it away at SummerSlam. Um, he's not going to hold back on the stomp this time. Um, he gets a lot of grief. It's often very deserved. I thought structurally this was spot on. The delivery was pretty good. And I will give them this. I can't pick a winner between Seth and Edge. They have um, they are being positioned as equals, which is impressive because for a change, a main roster regular isn't supposed to be just completely starstruck by an old returning legend. But they've done quite an effective job of giving you a perfect out if Edge really can't get it done against the younger, hungrier version of himself equally. Maybe he's just going to want to rip this mouthy little tosser's head off. This, I dare I say, it wasn't bad. <laughs> I have to agree. I enjoyed the application of thought that went into this 
more than the content, if I'm being honest. Um, Seth Rollins was less mid-cardy obnoxious than he normally is. He tried quite hard to inject a certain authority and gravitas into his words, but not too hard. Mm. It didn't feel like he was going full bluster, full intense, which is always good because I never like to see scenery getting chewed by people who don't have anywhere near enough fun chewing said scenery. I really like the video package because, as I said, it really feels like they've got a writer or a subgroup of writers who are genuinely trying hard to sell this. And in order to try hard to sell this, they are thinking of the various overlaps between the characters, all of which serves to create like parity and an unpredictability between the two. Um, again, this was so strong by modern WWE standards that it kind of fired my own imagination. And isn't that crazy how that happens? <laughs> story thinks hard about the story that's trying to tell. It tries to create a sense of immersion and realism by making all of this coherent and logical that I in turn thought, oh, if they're putting this much thought into this level of program, maybe Seth Rollins will defeat Edge. Mm. Maybe Seth Rollins and Edge in the aftermath will shake hands. Maybe it will incite some kind of baby first turn for Seth Rollins because God knows they're lacking enough of them to challenge Roman Reigns once um, John Cena disappears to do what he needs to do. I didn't hate this at all. Like, I wasn't bouncing off the walls ready for the match, but I've got high hopes for that match anyway. Mm. I don't think Seth Rollins is particularly world-class, but God damn, he has an awesome performance. We were talking in the office the other day, like when we see Dominic do things on this show, if you go back and watch last year's SummerSlam, you think that when Seth Rollins is in the mood, he really is great. He's not in the mood enough or he's inconsistent, whatever. But I'm thinking this match will be really, really good. This was a strong build. And I'm thinking people are receptive to it as well. This will be way better than cynical WWE observers. That's not a pun. I'm not talking about Meltzer. I'm talking about everyone on, on online who will watch it from afar and bury it because it's quite funny. This will be way better than that kind of people will want to think, I think. I hope so. And uh, especially as relates to your point about Seth and Roman as well, the roots of this just to complement the writing when I feel like there's things to com to complement, the roots of this existed because Seth was felt felt he was ready for a shot and Edge got it instead. Yes. And he's been pissed off with that ever since. So you can actually trace that back to Roman Reigns programs back if Seth is the next opponent. So I don't like that's three or four months threaded together coherently without us having to jump through hoops for it. So I would even quite like that if that's where we end up. The whole it started with wanting to fight Roman Reigns. It's going to end with him getting what he wanted all along. You just have to go through these like unexpected hurdles first. You've also given me a perfect segue in the form of Dominic Mysterio because he was up next with Dad, of course. Rey Mysterio telling him to stay hungry. Yet more, I wouldn't call it dissension, just the idea that Ray maybe doesn't think he's quite got his head in the game. I do hope that gets paid off at SummerSlam itself. But it was a relatively short match to illustrate that point further. Um, run-of-the-mill routine stuff, Rude and Ziggler versus the Mysterios. Fair bit of ring time for Dominic here with your Rudes and your Zigglers, who I guess on paper you would kind of look at as perfect guys to be getting reps with. We know he needs them. He seems to be taking a lot of criticism. I think there's debate both sides reasonable um, as to whether or not that criticism is deserved or not. But he's a feature on a billion-dollar wrestling show, so you're going to yeah. put yourself out there in the shop window, or WWE going to put you out there. You're going to come in for a bit of flack as well. But there was nothing to be overly critical about this one. It was too functional for anything to be horribly flawed. Um, I think, like, Ray, was it the top rope sent on that he hit? 
um, that allow Dominic to come in and do not the quote easy stuff. Wrestling isn't easy, but do the stuff that the crowd were in for. It was a hot tag. He got all the big moments. And then the Usos appeared on the screen with the big distraction. It wasn't music, but it was them cheering for Dominic. But it was ineffective because dad told him to keep his eyes on the prize. Again, that nice sort of father-son thing that maybe Ray is having to hold his hand a little bit through that. But he's only been doing this a year, so that's probably quite logical. And he does. And he gets a victory roll on Bobby Roode to win the match after three and a half minutes. We know where we're going with the Usos and the Mysterios uh, in terms of the match that was already announced. But, like, not a disaster for Dominic this week. And I know Will Bourne's not here, but I feel like he'll be thinking of us in spirit as we talk about this match. Are we getting what we all want at SummerSlam here. I hope so. Purely because I'm kind of sick of this tag team. And here's the thing. I'm going to go at this from two perspectives, one of which people might think is totally irrelevant, but I really don't think it is. First thing I'm going to talk about is the match itself. It was what it was. The nicest thing I can possibly say about it is that clips weren't MP4 on streamable on Twitter to totally bury Dominic Mysterio without actually watching the full scope of his performance, which must mean this one was kind of flawless, or at least not ridden by botches, which is important to praise him for because he's had quite a few glaring mistakes of late. Uh, a wrestler of that level of experience might be getting in his own head. Like, it's a horrible thing, the glare of social media. Like, it really is. And, you know, we're all sort of complicit in it. The fact that he's persevered a storm of just getting buried constantly. And entered like a proper performance like this again, as he said, like this should be if he's on national television, this should be the bare like essentials of what he's actually doing. But at the same time, as a human being, it was almost quite nice to see him get through a match unscathed without embarrassment. But speaking of embarrassment, people who think that it's Roman Reigns Uso stuff is great long term storytelling. <laughs> what we've done since October 2020, almost a full calendar year, is that between Jay and Jimmy. In Roman's various attempts to get them to acknowledge him, to align with him, to put aside their personal pride and ambition to become his henchmen. All of that, all of that TV time, I was told, was great. All of it. All of those weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. And what we ended up with, the Usos just being kind of clownish mid-card figures who do Titantron stuff to try and beat a 24-year-old kid. It's not going to settle a 24-year-old kid in a TV match. Like, it's taken WWE the most circuitous route possible to give Roman Reigns two heaters. That's literally all. If you want to... I don't want to be reductive, right? Because you can reduce anything. Like, people can reduce anything to make an argument, and it's often in bad faith, and it's often just so stupid. It's the whole... Like, football is just 22 men kicking the ball around the field. Yeah. It isn't. It isn't. It's wonderful drama, entertainment. It used to bring communities together. Families can bond. Blah, 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 blah. I don't really think this is going to bring any communities together or bond families through their viewing experience. What's happened? It's going to the bloodline. CJ. That's what it's going to bond. The most important family. And who's who feeds that family? Who's the head of that table? For 10 months of my life, <laughs> at this point, for 10 months of my life, I've watched Roman Reigns very, very slowly, very, very quietly across every opening and closing segment of SmackDown. Just get two heaters. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, am I wrong? No, it's uh, we had the 2014 clip earlier on. This was Jimmy and Jay security, wasn't it? They're just yeah. old boys, but they're, they're the Usos. 
No, um, I this was clownish is the word you use, clownish nonsense. Um, they may as well have played Athene and come out on the stage instead of appeared on the Titantron. It's going to fold in. I'm pretty confident it's going to fold into that. It's, they've been working on the house shows, haven't they? The six man and stuff. Um, if Cena's going to get in the ring before SummerSlam, it's going to be for that. It's an alliance that is a storyline convenience when they need it. And clearly this week they didn't. So you get this instead. It's I, I don't disagree with any of that. And I think at this point, the praise towards Roman Reigns um, seemingly has been channeled into his performance of his own role rather than WWE's impressive storytelling. Oh, yeah, this saga is... I've noticed that, like, all of it has moved to one thing rather than another. I think a little bit of that as well is to do with um, what happened with Jimmy Uso in real life. Seemed to me they pumped the brakes on uh, something they were trying with Jimmy after that, and maybe that's not the worst thing as well, because maybe they're kind of saying, right, back back in your little, you know, how much vintage tag teams, back in your tag team box for a little bit, and then we'll maybe bring you out after the after the summer's passed. And then the law of the bloodline can continue. Indeed, indeed. Um, looking for blood money is Baron Corbin, who is still absolutely skint. There is no happy smiley face in sight yet, um, but he needs a thousand dollars from everybody here. I still quite like this gag that when he is in need of money, it's absolutely loads. The hundred thousand dollars from Drew McIntyre on this is it. Let's continue to think with this character, and more on that later because of how he figures his way into yet another storyline. That's when you know a character is getting over and making sense in its universe. Um, Owens interrupts him. Winger need money. He pulls out um, a credit card machine that he wants to bill the audience with. Owens comes out and Corbin gets in a great line of how he'll accept Canadian credit cards on his machine too. But Owens, rightfully so, of all the baby faces to be pissed off with Baron Corbin, it's Kevin Owens. He gave him $20 and asked him just not to be such a dickhead. And Corbin hasn't listened. So Owens doesn't need to offer him such support anymore. Um, Corbin calls him a cheapskate, which again is key to this character, I guess, remaining a heel because he's not learning any of these lessons of the people that maybe want to help and elevate him. Um, Owens attacks with the stunner. They have a break after the advert, or I guess Corbin has recovered because he's magically in charge, as is the way in WWE, kind of scoops a roll. <laughs> Don't ask me how. Inexplicable. I'm not like, I'm not on the observer side going, can somebody um, live in attendance tell me what happened that put Corbin in charge in the break? Um, but as you said, kind of in the, one of the earlier matches, Wilborn's an artist at this because... How he makes a WWE match seem more dramatic than it actually is, I don't know. And it's not a skill I'm blessed with. This was all punches and kicks from Corbin. Yes, sometimes it just needs to be reduced. With a suplex spot on the apron that was really impressive. And Owens will sometimes bump very painfully for his art. And I really appreciate that, so I want to mention that. Um, but they get themselves back up. We got um, an attempted superplex that was broken up with an Owens swanton. Corbin got a two off a deep six. Um, and then he tried to cheat with his feet on the ropes. Pat McAfee got a pretty good call in here that Corbin is so down on his luck and poor and hungry and skint that he didn't have the energy within him to actually push forward and use the cheat effectively. Um, but he, uh, he does dodge the stunner at first. Owen Sunset flips for the win and then leaves him with another stunner because the guy won't learn his lesson. Um, we'll move on briefly to the post-match, if that's OK, because I think it ties into what they were yeah, trying to tell with this very brief sort of match. Um, Corbin's lost again, so he's still on his arse. Um, because he's refusing to work for his money, he's never going to get cheered. You know, we're not dealing with the sympathetic guy the other week that was smashing a can on a curb so he could eat out of it. Um, 
And yeah, so after the fact, he's asked, well, what do you do next? And then he spies an opportunity. Big E's signing some pictures and his briefcase is down. Corbin runs into the shop. Pie faces Big E, steals the briefcase and bails into the night with it. Now, yes, thick principally because like possession isn't nine tenths of the law with that thing. The contract's name in that case says Big E on it. But because this Corbin character is so over, what I want to praise in isolation of that slightly thick plot development is that when you establish an over character with clear motivations and something that feels real and lived in, you can drop them into other people's stories and other people's lives. And that was the whole point about him getting football in the groin off Shotzi and Knox the other week. That's the makings of a good character. And it's for that reason that even if it's for something as frivolous as Big E getting his case back, this will probably do for SummerSlam, won't it? It'll probably do. And I'm with you on that. If you can book or craft a character that feels in some way fleshed out, you can get the picker out and put them yeah. in situations with other characters that make a half lick of sense because he's got motivation. And you can run those back, like we saw with the Kevin Owens match, which, as you said, played on the fact that Kevin Owens was the one guy who was somewhat sympathetic to his plight. Baron Corbin's been a dick about it. Like, by WWE storytelling standards, what they're actually doing with Corbin's good, if you've got the appetite for it. Hmm. This contract thing, I'm, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I will reserve judgment until next week, and I will not bury it now. If Big E dares sell it as if this it's this thing that can now theoretically belong to Baron Corbin because he has the physical thing, I will be pissed off. Mm. If it, it because I want to believe in Big E. I love Big E. Everyone loves Big E. I don't love Big E because everyone loves Big E. I love him because he's Big E. But it's nice that everyone loves Big E because people will be a little bit more patient with the creative you would expect when he's on the rise and he is certainly on the rise having won that briefcase. People will turn on anyone in pro wrestling. Mm-hmm. It's a cruel game for various reasons. It possibly because it's on every single week and you can't enjoy every single week all the rest of it. But if Big E sells this development as something that could impact his chances of winning a title, who knows, maybe... The bylaws mean that you must present the briefcase to the referee to signal it. Maybe that's in the... Why am I thinking about these things? Why are they asking me to think about these things? I want Big E to deadpan next week. You know, you don't actually get the time. That's not how you do it. <laughs> I hope that, you know, you've annoyed me or something. Or Baron Corbin can do an additional thing that annoys Big E. That can be... That can form the real crux of Big E wanting a match with Corbin. I'll reserve judgment. I'm not going to bury it yet. What I do quite like potentially as well is the it's it's out there if you want to find it, but a lot of people are trying to will into existence, and quite frankly, I'm one because I think it'd be awesome. Um, is a prospect of Bobby Lashley and Goldberg looks very short, any kind of happy ending, doesn't it? At SummerSlam, Big E's the happiest of all the endings with that briefcase, even though it's theoretically for a SmackDown title, WWE have no problem twisting the rules of their universe. So, him earning back possession of it on the night as that kind of reminder it's mine and everybody should be back looking over their shoulder would be quite nice as a way to queue up if there was going to be a cash note on the even but i'm with you i don't want to see biggie's character compromised during this money in the back run. i don't really want to see him lose a lot of matches and that's almost the least of what you expect the person with the case to have because they think they can because you're going to get a big pop at the end so i hope his, his dignity isn't sort of sacrificed for the sake of a, a brief SummerSlam victory um we go to our main event which is a contract signing 
I know those two things shouldn't really be in the same sentence, but I, again, I don't know if this is just generous on my part. I feel like they know that Roman Reigns and John Cena is the main event, but they are trying gamely to make Sasha and Bianca feel like a co-main event. They, of course, had the main event match on SmackDown two weeks ago, the headline in this episode of SmackDown here. They know that it's not like WrestleMania, so you can't do night one with these two and then night two with Cena and Roman. So they're doing the best they can to make this feel huge. They know it's a massive rematch. They know 40,000 people are probably going to make a lot of noise of it. So you've got the very sort of generic back and forth stuff. Interestingly here, um, Belair is able to put over Sasha Banks, which, as we always talk about, is really important because you're supposed to make this fight when you beat a person, feel like you've actually accomplished something. Whereas Sasha will only go so far before presenting the hair whip, the awesome, memorable sort of crescendo of that match as a bit of a dirty trick, a bit of something she shouldn't have tried on the night. And that's obviously going to factor into the match as it did later on in this segment. Um, Banks looks like she's going to trigger Bianca Belair into a fight, but Sonya Deville wants to preserve the match for SummerSlam, at which case Banks calls out some witnesses in the form of Carmella and Zelina Vega, and you know that the fix is in. Um, they try and get the better of Belair, but she's able to physically fight them both off. And again, like even in stuff that feels lazy and contrived, you often have to give credit to the talent for just being smarter than the tropes. Um, she overpowers Vega and Carmella, and then does an awesome senton flip over the table on a Sasha Banks. And it's like, she's a fucking EST. This is what you're dealing with. That's why Sasha's enlisted in the help of two people, because she knows Bianca Belair's a proper threat. So I feel like logically most is tied together. But sure enough, numbers games took over. This is when it gets a bit blah, blah, blah. Um, Sasha Banks shoes off Zelina Vega and Carmella and then puts her on the table with the... Um, the bank statement, as we know, submissions on tables in WWE law are more painful than off them. Yes. So it must have hurt more. Paige set that one in a few years ago. But pretty cool. She does it with the hair. So it's the weapon being used against her. Strong visual, not awful content. We'd always rather have less of these. But, you know, like we've contrasted with AEW when it comes to praising AEW. AEW have done contract signings that have been entertaining. I didn't think this was a terrible one. And again, it's placement in the main event, I think, kind of elevated the, the meaning of it, at least. I, like, this wasn't one of the worst ones for me. No, absolutely emphatic praise from my esteemed colleague. <laughs> I truthfully couldn't remember much of the content, which is, maybe I should take better notes when watching SmackDown, or maybe SmackDown should be a far more memorable show, mm -hmm. but between the Friday slash Saturday morning viewing experience, I tell a lie, I watched a bit of it last night because I was watching Rampage, but even then I can't remember much of the material. All I remember was the, the visuals, but maybe that's just what WWE is nowadays. Word soup with some iconic visuals to uh, keep in the mind of the audience. It wasn't just the flip that made Bianca Blair look cool. It actually felt like an unvarnished scrap like two people were really trying to get at each other. It wasn't just the fact that she did something cool. It was the intent. Really felt like she wanted to get at her. Um, it felt like Vega and Carmella were like superfluous to a degree, but you know they existed to engineer the swings and momentum. I don't know why they couldn't just they not learn from the WrestleMania 36 build, 37 build that just these two have got insanely great physical chemistry. And anything that they were doing superfluous to it was just rotten. They could have kept this a little bit simpler, but I had a lot of time for that flip. I thought it looked great. The hair stuff is paying it all off. Ultimately, they are benefiting from how dodge the WrestleMania 37 build was because this feels like very, very relevant hot stuff in comparison. It's just um, 
nice as well. I think that this feud has existed because everybody has erased the entire build to WrestleMania 37. Everybody, WWE knows this as well. That's why so much of this television often does feel meaningless is because they know within three months it will be. Um, almost all of the stuff that's mattered in this programme has existed in front of audiences. So Sasha Banks taking the break, WWE putting the brakes on it. However, they've kind of arrived at this fortuitously, I guess, because WrestleMania happened in front of a crowd. Um, I think that's really, really helped. I think the fact that we'll never need to associate Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks stuff with the cursed empty arena or the Thunderdome, it does elevate it above, say, your memories of the Bailey Bianca Belair program, for example. Um, that was SmackDown, Sidgwick. We got through another one together. And uh, this time next week, it's going to be an Adam Will one to try and figure all this mess out. Oh, thank God. <laughs> thank God. Um, I. The Usos are a pair of heaters. It's funny how you never see that storyline getting put over, even by like the, the avatars. Like they never talk about this storyline. All right, did it finish? I can't remember like, the storyline. Well, a few weeks, a few months back, it would have been like, "Oh, your distraction didn't work." They have to go and like see Roman. He'd be sat in his chair with his back to them. Like, uh, did you get the interference video done? And like, no, boss. Everything went wrong. And then like he battered them or something. Where's all that gone? You go on. Work a tag 10 in the main event. That's your punishment. Your punishment is to wrestle. That would have been rubbish to begin with. But I love how it's all just dropped like an absolute Stone Cena's here. I'm just kicking around with you two. <laughs> like, John Cena's here. He's more important. <laughs> That's it. He's just buying them. Yes. Come back in September. Farcical. Farcical. WWE does things for longer than three weeks and it's automatically great. It's like my cack. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell. If, uh, if you would like to suck out, no, no, no. If you, have, <laughs> um, you can do so in the replies uh, to this podcast on Twitter, um, where you can find all of us. You can find me at Michael Hanflet. You can find Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. And you can follow the rest of the What Culture team at What Culture WWE. And we will see you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.